I'm Catherine Spearing, and we are back with season two of the Uncertain Podcast. We are so excited to be back. Season two would not be possible without you. I so appreciate the texts, emails, and direct messages on Instagram, and for you continuing to share the podcast. This truly is a collaborative community. And we have officially moved beyond the friends and family tier, so it's encouraging to know this podcast is helping people around the world to navigate their stories. If you've been following along with us, you know that a lot of our guests for season two are artists. Artists are pivotal for creating spaces for healing and for challenging culture, so we need them to be a part of this conversation. We'll introduce our first discussion with one of these sensational creative makers next week, so make sure you tune in. For our first episode of the season, I wanted to make sure we had a reminder of why we're doing what we're doing. The Uncertain Podcast exists to challenge the church to do better. But before we jump into the episode, I want to let you know about an opportunity you don't want to miss. The Uncertain Podcast is affiliated with the nonprofit Tears of Eden, of which I am the founder. It is a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. For the month of January, we have a premium going on in which we have this really awesome print we're going to send you for a donation of $25 or more or a monthly donation of any amount. You can check out more details about that by clicking the donate link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. For this episode, the guest is Julie Roys, investigative reporter at the Roys Report. But I've also become familiar with the power that the powerless have. And I think that there's something that the Me Too movement, the Church Too movement has shown us is that there's power in speaking the truth and everybody, everybody has a voice. I wanted this episode to be extremely practical for anyone who might know about or have experienced abuse in a church and wants to come forward, but just doesn't know how. We'll answer questions like, what is umbrella insurance? And should you ever sign an NDA? What even is an NDA? Julie Royce is a veteran investigative reporter and founder of The Royce Report. Her articles have appeared in World Magazine, Christianity Today, Religion News Service, The Federalist, and The Christian Post. In 2017, she published her first book, Redeeming the Feminine Soul. Julie holds a bachelor's degree in history from Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, and a master's degree in broadcast journalism from the prestigious Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. Julie and her husband, Neil, live in Chicago suburbs and have three children and one grandchild. Thanks so much for joining us today. Here's my conversation with Julie Royce. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, um, you bet. Instead of the, the craziness, I appreciate it. Thank you for what you do, just for not necessarily as a part of the interview, but just like, because mm-hmm. I'm curious. Do you tend to get more like negative feedback for your writing, reporting, or more, yay, we're <laughs> so excited you're doing this? <laughs> You know, I I put this out on Twitter, what was it, over the weekend, that, you know, generally people support me till I take on their sacred cow. Mm. So it's like, they're fine with me till I take on John MacArthur or James McDonald or, you know, whatever, Mm. whatever that sacred cow is. So, and, and usually at the beginning of like, when I first started reporting on Robbie Zacharias, you know, people there were a lot of supporters that just attacked me. I've actually had people come back now and apologize, which 
is unusual. I mean, that doesn't because they realize, normally. oh, you're actually telling the truth. You're not just like trying to smear him, this beloved exactly. person. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that that happens. one shocked me. I will say that. I mean, I'm not shocked, but I mm. also am shocked. Yeah, it's just that one. That one got me. <laughs> I mean, the first person who tipped me off to it was Steve Boffman, and he sent me a copy of his book and said, "Read this." And I was like, "It took me a while to read it." I actually gave it to my husband. I do this a lot. He loves. <laughs> He's, he's really good at researching. So I'll be like, sweetie, can you just read this? And like, and I'll tell you what notes. I need to know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's and, great. and he will do that for me, which is really nice. And, and so he read it. He's like, mm, you need to read this. And, mm. and I looked, actually, I looked at the, the appendices because they had the, they had the, Steve had put the suicide emails and I read those. And really I, that's all it took for me. I was like, oh, pfft. A guilty man doesn't try to get a, a woman to, to not report to her husband what has been going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, or a, an innocent man doesn't do that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that kind of opened my eyes. But sadly, yeah. I mean, who wants that? Yeah, yeah, I know. And there's just a lot of like, is anyone safe? Like, who, who's next? Who's next? Right. <laughs> well, I really appreciate what you're doing. And it's definitely informed kind of what I'm doing with my podcast, just addressing difficult subjects. But I just, I want this to be just like a super practical episode for survivors of abuse, people who have experienced it or witnessed it in, and I'm just going to like focus on just like church context. And, um, and I, and I, I have been through this process myself of just like, I want to say something. I think that this should not happen. I need to say, I don't know how, I don't know where, who, how do I say, how this, how do I say this to you? And so the reason why I, I emailed you because I listened to your Diane Lingberg podcast several, several months ago, and you told the story about there's this organization that you were reporting on and they were like, come report, come Mm -hmm. report. And you just said there were like 30 people if they had just banded together and all spoken up together, then yeah. they would not have needed me. And so then that was just like, bing, light bulb in my brain. I need to email her and we need to ask this question. So like, if someone wants to, how do they? And and you have seen so much and you've reported on this and you've had somebody sue you, maybe multiple people. I don't know. I know. <laughs> just want, just want. Just want. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but yeah, so you've, you've been through this and I'm sure you've met with multiple witnesses and have to go through the privacy protection and all, all of that. So I thought you might be able to help us out with this. <laughs> so the, so let's just start with that. Those 30 to 40 people that you mentioned, if they had just banded together, they wouldn't have needed you to report. What would you have suggested that they do? Well, it might, it might be helpful just to provide some context. That was when I was at the Moody Bible Institute and reporting on Moody and what was happening there, blowing the whistle, that got me fired and really launched me in the direction of what I'm doing today. I mean, I had been, wow. I had been trained as a reporter back in my 20s, but then ended up doing a little bit of reporting, but, but then ended up in ministry and watching my kids and stuff. And it wasn't until you know, I was in my 40s, I went back and started working in radio with uh, Moody Radio. And it was when I was there that, I mean, I'll never forget when one of the professors came up to me and she said, you have no idea what's going on here. And I said, well, tell me. And 
proceeded to tell me about a lot of violations that were happening, bylaws being flagrantly violated, a very heavy-handed leadership, mission drift, but when they, when a professor would go to administration and say, this is happening and expose wrongdoing, um, the professor who reported it would get in trouble instead of the person who's doing stuff mm-hmm. that would be against what the, the Moody Bible Institute stands for. And what had happened was about 30 to 40 of these faculty members had sent letters documenting everything that had happened to the faculty concerns committee. And they had this big meeting where all of the faculty were on uh, either both at the Chicago campus and then it's, they had a Spokane campus at the time. It's been closed down since. But they had a big meeting with the provost and the president of the Moody Bible Institute was there. And the provost basically decided which questions he wanted to take and which ones he didn't Mm -hmm. and didn't answer any of them to anyone's satisfaction. And I know that one of the, one of the, I don't know if you want to call this a question, but it was a call to, for there to be sort of a vote of confidence in the provost. And of course he didn't allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. And when this was all done, everybody was like, oh, and they were told at the beginning of the meeting that they weren't allowed to ask, they were only allowed to ask clarifying questions, but they weren't allowed to ask about anything that wasn't brought up by the provost. Extraordinarily controlled. And at the end of it, the president gets up and says, okay, we're done. This is good. And the, the professors were just shocked, but they were given no recourse. And he basically said, thanks for all of you who support us and stand with us, basically a veiled threat that if you mm-hmm. do anything, you're out. And, and everybody got the message really clearly. And so that's, that's when they came to me because they're like, what do we do? What do we do at this point? And I remember thinking at the time, yeah, I, I have a platform. I just built a platform, <laughs> not for this. And you just built a platform because you just got fired from the same place. No, no, I hadn't been fired yet. In fact, oh. I was, oh. I had a national radio show. That's okay. why I had a platform. And I also had just published a book. I was scheduled to be uh, the MC for Moody's Founders Week, and they were going to promote my book. I was going to do women's conference at, oddly enough, Harvest Bible Chapel, where I ended up, you know, exposing a, a year later. I mean, everything was going great. I had radio bookings for my new book. I, everything was going perfectly in my career. But I, I, I just had been, it, it was this situation, it was others where I saw this, and I'm sure you've talked about it, this, this evangelical industrial complex or celebrity machine, whatever you want to call it. But I had just seen over the years, wrongdoing come to administration and them just squash it because, oh, that's James McDonald. He's our friend. Or that's Wheaton College. We can't say that about them because they're our friend. Or, and so when, when this happened and, and my first thing was, okay, I'm going to get, I know because I've been trained as a journalist, I'm going to put on my journalist hat and we're, I'm going to report this. And so I started gathering interviews and documentation and it was overwhelming the amount of documentation I was able to get. And then I went to, on my own dime, I flew out to Detroit to meet with to trustees to say, hey, this is what's going on. You need to do something. The president, the provost, the COO, this this is not okay. And they agreed with me. But then uh, I won't tell the whole entire story because that could take up our whole entire podcast. But but the, the bottom line is that I saw that the trustees were going to back the administration and I saw that they were in cahoots with everything. I saw that that they had 
some financial misdealings that they were self-dealing that they were doing. I, I mean, it's just like the rabbit hole went deeper and deeper. And so that's when I decided to blow the whistle. But the thing was, when I, what I say about those 30 to 40 faculty is they continually kept coming to me and, and I felt their burden, right? Not all 30 to 40 of them, but a, you know, a group of them kept coming. And, and I wanted to stand up for them. I wanted to help them. And I knew I had the skills and I had the platform. And I felt like this was one of those times where God had uniquely positioned me to do something. But I'll never forget something one of the professors said to me. He said, Julie, please speak for us because we feel like we have no voice. And I remember the time thinking, well, yeah, God has given me in a sense a megaphone to be able to do this. But I look back now, and especially after I reported, then all these professors just retreated completely, mm. you know, and there were just such a very few that would go on the record for me. And not only did they retreat, but they turned on me because they saw that I was being scapegoated for everything. So mm. they, they just kind of joined, joined the bandwagon. And, uh, and I remember just thinking, if I, if I had that moment back again with that professor, I, I would say, no, you, you know what? You, you do have a voice. All of you have a voice. And if all of you, yeah, if one of you stands up and says something, you'll be fired. If all 30 to 40 of you stand up with the documentation you have and then say, either you do something or we're going public, then you'd have power. And you really could have done something. But instead, I went out there alone on the front lines and I got, you know, I mean, in some senses, I got slaughtered. It was weird because they fired within a week of me publishing, they fired the president, the provost and the COO. And then they fired me too. Like, mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> I mean, get rid of everything, weird. everything. I know, I, I guess, <laughs> get rid of not just the problem, but the person who spoke of the problem because then we can imagine, you know, and then, and then their that public statement was such a joke. It was like, you know, the men we fired were really good men, didn't really do anything wrong. We just need a, a new season of leadership. I mean, it was so bogus, mm. but that's, Again, that's how the whole machine and the image control and everything works. I've become quite familiar with it, but I've also become familiar with the power that the powerless have. And I think that there's something that the Me Too movement, the Church Too movement has shown us is that there's power in speaking the truth. And everybody, everybody has a voice. And I know people hear that. And there's some people who have been so silenced and so quashed. And my heart just goes out to them. And listen, I've been on the receiving end of that of being gaslighted, of being made the problem of, you know, lies being told about me. And so I feel that for victims who come forward and they do get quashed and it does happen. But I, I guess at the same time too, I say, we have seen incredible gains and God, you know, his heart just, it breaks for the oppressed and for the victim. And so I just want to encourage people with that. That's awesome. And I'm so glad we get to dig through this, I can't go into this. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. It sounds like you've, you've, you've learned a lot through a lot of pain. And I think that that's the way a lot of us kind of figure this out is trying things and then they, they don't work. And, and then you try something else and then you try something else. And, and maybe those of us who have tried can kind of lay the groundwork for other people who are attempting to come forward about abuse so just from a practical standpoint, what are some things for someone to consider if they just, you know, they see this, they, they know that this is not good, they need to come forward. What are some things to consider or questions to ask? Well, uh, the first thing I would do if I were on the receiving end of ongoing abuse is 
start gathering documentation. This is the number one question I ask when people come to me. I mean, so often with, with abuse, there is, you know, a he said, she said sort of thing. And fortunately, people are believing victims now because we know that 80% of victims, maybe even higher than that, tell the truth. You know, nobody wants to come out and accuse somebody of sexually abusing them, for example, if they're not telling the truth. And so most of the time they are telling the truth. So you do have your witness. But at the same time, man, if somebody comes forward and they've got texts and they've got emails, um, audio recording, you have to be careful with audio recording. I'm in a two-party state in Illinois and you cannot record somebody without their permission. But a lot of people are in one-party states and you can record someone. And absolutely, if you're exposing their wrongdoing, go ahead and record them. If it's legal, do it. Um, so I, I just really encourage people, get it in writing if you can, like, or get a text or, you know, I mean, see what you can get that can really document this. Because I know as a journalist, that's the, the first question I'll, I'll be asking somebody is, do you have any documentation or do you have an eyewitness who saw this? Mm -hmm. um, and go to, the, go to the eyewitness and say, hey, do you have my back? Mm -hmm. You're going to stand with me if I go out front or are you going to let me go out there and get slaughtered? Mm -hmm. you know, and, and really encourage people who can to come forward if you come forward. And, and, and sometimes it takes that kind of urging to, to get somebody to come forward. So I, I think that's one of the, the very first things that I would do. If you're getting fired from an organization, don't sign an NDA. Do not don't sign an do NDA. Don't do Moody it. tried to get me to sign an NDA and I refused. And I actually paid my, ended up spending my entire severance fighting that NDA, but I came out of there without one because I was like, there is no way mm -hmm. you are going to slap this on me. I remember when I read it in the contract, I was like, what the heck is this? I didn't even know what an NDA was at that time. Mm -hmm. But I remember just reading it and going, whoa, no, I'm not going to promise that I'll never say anything. Mm -hmm. So just mm -hmm. refuse. And quite frankly, if you are an employee somewhere and, and you've worked for however many year, years it is, you are owed your severance. And for them to hang that over your head if you don't sign an NDA is inappropriate. So they're not allowed to do that. <laughs> no, they're not allowed to do it, but everybody's doing it. Everybody, yeah. you know, these mega churches, these Christian organizations, the bigger they are, the, the more heavy handed they seem to be and the more lawyered up they are. But you need to fight back and you need to know your rights. And, you know, unless you signed a contract when you came on that has an NDA in it, they can't slap that on you. They have to give you something extra if they want an NDA. So they, they, they just can't do that. You've earned your severance. So, you know, do not sign the NDA. The other thing I tell people, <laughs> and this is something I, I guess I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but get an umbrella policy. Hmm. What is that? A lot of people don't think about that, but if you should have an umbrella policy, I hope you do. <laughs> everyone, everyone should have one. Now for me, um, I do this professionally. So I need, I need a, actually a pretty expensive, and I do have it, insurance policy against any accusations of slander or libel. But just your everyday Joe, your recourse is usually an umbrella policy. And this is, if you have a homeowner's policy, you can just slap on an umbrella policy. It's usually like 30, 40 extra bucks a month. And now you're protected if somebody sues you. And again, when they sue you, half the time they know they're guilty, but they just know that you don't have the money for the legal representation. When I got sued, I had an umbrella policy. The authors of the elephant's debt, they both had umbrella policies, except one of them, it's kind of technical, but his, they didn't stand up and, and defend him, but 
The other one did. His insurance company paid for all of his representation. Actually, in the end, Harvest Bible Chapel ended up paying all of our legal fees because it was a frivolous lawsuit. But again, get an umbrella policy. Talk to your insurance agent. And the other thing I say is get an insurance broker because often these insurance agents don't know what they're selling to you because they're just there to, to sell you a policy, but they don't have the access of, you know, a number of different policies. A broker does, and you can say, this is what I want covered. And then they can advise you on that. And it usually costs a little bit of extra money, but I tell you what, when you're in a position where you may get sued, you're going to want that umbrella policy. So everybody should, should do that for their insurance. So those are some that of the things just practically helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I tell that I Google at midnight, like libel, <laughs> yeah. slander, like mm -hmm. what are the, and there's just so much information and you have to weed through and yeah. So that's awesome. That's super helpful. Thanks. We can sure. end it there. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess, I mean, you named one, I said risks involved. You, I guess you kind of have named risk involved, I mean, greatest risk probably would be getting sued, getting gaslit, discredited, fired, you've named, silenced, like those are all potential things. Are there any other risks someone should be aware of if they wish to expose abuse? I, I, those are the main ones. And, and I'll be honest, when I blew the whistle on Moody, I was 100% ready to lose my job. I was 100% ready to never work in Christian media again. I you almost have to have that kind of resolve. And I remember a, a friend of mine praying for me at that time. And he just prayed over me that God would give me a holy detachment from the consequences. Mm -hmm. And I think we all need that, that ability to say, Lord, if, if you're calling me to do this, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to leave the consequences up to you. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that trust in that faith is, is super important because you will be, you're, you're going, it, it's a frontline kind of thing. You're going into battle. This is a spiritual battle, especially if you're going up against, you know, evil forces within a Christian organization. So expect it and be prepared and pray up, get some people to pray for you, <laughs> get your support mm -hmm. system. I mean, your friends, if that's possible, do it yeah. because. And lay, lay the that. groundwork and plan and document and you don't have to immediately yeah. go do it. You can, you can make a plan and be smart about it. So um, you kind of touched on this a little bit too, mm -hmm. but what's the difference between a person who's actually experiencing the abuse and a person who's witnessing the abuse and how might those two parties potentially react differently to abuse? Uh, you know, it's funny when you, when you ask that question, the first thing I think of is one of the first questions I ask people when they come and they report it to me is, okay, are you a firsthand witness or have you heard about this secondhand? Because I, as a reporter, can't report anything that's secondhand. So if you're not, if you're not a witness to it, if you're not the person it's happening to, you can be helpful maybe, but I need to hear it from the firsthand witness. So if you're the firsthand witness, you have a lot more uh, power, obviously, to expose this than somebody who doesn't. And you're the one that's going to need to speak in the end. You can't have other people speaking for you. You're going to need to do it, which I know is, is absolutely terrifying for certain people, but that's what, that's what moves the dial. If you're, say, a supporter of somebody who has experienced abuse, you can direct them to the kind of resources, some of the things I just, I just mentioned. You can encourage them to do that. And there also are organizations you can point them to, like 
godly response to abuse in a Christian environment, grace. I know I've talked to a number of sources where they'll tell me about something and I'll say, well, have you talked to grace? Maybe they'd investigate or they might be able to advise you on what your recourse is. And, and they're, they're phenomenal. So I highly recommend them. But I think almost everybody I've ever talked to that comes forward, they come forward because there's somebody or a group of people that have come around them and said, I, I'm with you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to support you. Even if it's just one person, you know, it's somebody who's standing with them, who's fighting with them because, and, and all of the stories I've ever done, I, I kind of joke, it takes a village to report these stories. It, it does. I mean, it takes a team of people who are committed to exposing wrongdoing. And so you can have a lot of power just being a supporter in helping people. But again, it, it needs eventually to be the person who's, who's gotten the abuse that, that comes forward. And I will just say this to victims of abuse, because gaslighting is such a common thing, which means somebody's going to come at you and they're going to somehow twist this and make it feel like you're either crazy or you're guilty or they're shame, you know, and, and they'll get you to gaslight yourself. And, and that's what's so damaging. And so I really encourage abuse victims to get some counseling from, from somebody who's experienced in sexual abuse or whatever kind of abuse, spiritual abuse that you've experienced because getting your head straight after somebody's messed with you is really, really hard to do. And so sometimes you need that work because you need to be clear when you go into this about what happened and you need to be clear. Sometimes it takes people a while because they've been so subjected to spiritual abuse where, you know, you, <laughs> if you have a problem, it, it's your fault. You know, why would you have a problem with this? And, and you're supposed to suffer. That's part of the Christian way. And, you know, I mean, all of these things being used against you in a very manipulative evil way. And yet we think it's God's way because somebody's convinced us of that. So some counseling can really, really help, or just even reading Diane Langberg's work. I highly recommend her. And I know you mentioned her before, but also Wade Mullen, the work that he's done that stuff's excellent. So get, get educated, read some of the books and the resources. I've got a number of podcasts I've done with Wade and Diane that are just outstanding. And even Dr. Julia Dahl, we've gone through people's statements and their apologies and things. And she just, she breaks it down and you got get to see the language of abuse. Those are really helpful. I've had so many people reach out to me and say, after listening to this podcast or that podcast, it just, wow, it just opened my eyes and I saw things clearly for the first time. So get, getting educated is huge. And the work that you're doing, Kathleen, same thing. Um, educating people, helping us see clearly what's, what's evil and what's good because we're in a state, we're, we're in an age where good is called evil and evil is called good. And so we need to be straight on which is which. And it happens in the church. And it's yes. very common. <laughs> very common, Unfortunately, yeah, this place that you should be able to enter in and expect it to be safe. And that's a, a reason why we kind of let our guard down because we expect yeah. the place to be safe. But our our vigilance is still needed even in yeah. this institution. And you mentioned Diane Lingberg and you mentioned grace the organization grace we have on um, in season one for anyone listening we have two episodes one with two episodes with grace and one episode with diane lingberg also so go ahead and check those out and what might be some wrong motives for exposing abuse and how do we assess our motives when exposed you know 
Yeah. You, you know, there, there's a part of just that question's a little triggering for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, every time I report a story, somebody will be like, you know, I wonder what your motives are, Julie. Mm. And, and it kills me. Like, why do I, why do I need all my, my motives questioned to do something right? If I were doing something wrong, I could see it constantly being questioned, but I'm doing something right. Something that First Timothy 5.20 says that when you see a, an elder sinning that you're supposed to publicly expose him so others may stand in fear. You know, Ephesians 5.11 says that we're to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather I'm, I'm doing a righteous thing. Why are you questioning my motives? Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, this is the gaslighting thing. This is the, you know, if you're in a dysfunctional system, there is no problem. You're the problem if you're speaking up about it. And so, yeah, I mean, there, there's a part of, a part of me that just gets frustrated about this question constantly being asked of us. The question in and of itself to me often betrays what people are trying to do. And what they're trying to do is deflect attention away from the evil that's been done and instead put it on you, on the messenger. And, and I think we just need to be clear on that. And I, I know people would say to me, sometimes when I'm reporting, they'd be like, Julie, you know what? You sound angry. Mm. And my comeback is, you know what? I am angry. Why aren't you? Why aren't you angry? When, when you see leaders that are supposed to be protecting the sheep, actually preying on the sheep, why does that not make you angry? I look at Jesus when he came into, into the temple and he saw the money changers, you know, taking advantage of people. He got angry. There is a righteous anger. In our, in our anger, we should not sin. But, but don't sit there and tell me about, you know, and talk about my anger. We should be angry in the church. When, when innocent people are being preyed upon, it should make us angry. So, you know, I, I know from the beginning, I did this because I felt like God was calling me to do it. I felt like it was a matter of obedience to do it. I know when I was reporting on Harvest Bible Chapel, there was one guy, R.T. Maldner, he was a former pastor at Harvest, and he would always say every time we got off the phone, he'd he'd be like, Julie, for the bride, for the bride. And I'm like, absolutely. You know, I mean, I care passionately about God's reputation in this world, and it grieves me. I mean, right now, what's going on in our country right now, you know, with things being done, I mean, at that riot that happened at on the Capitol and with people carrying, you know, signs about Jesus 2020, when they're doing something that is so anti-Jesus that I, I just don't even have words for that kind of perverse using God's name in vain. That makes me angry. I have a passion for the purity of the church. I have a passion for God's reputation in the church. That was the first commandment, you know, have no other God before for him, but also then do not take his name in vain you know, and God cares about his reputation as his people, we should care. So I do think that's a righteous motivation. And then caring for the oppressed, because scripture's full of that, you know, caring for the oppressed and the victim. And so I think what we're doing when we're speaking up about this is a righteous thing. And I think we should be convinced of that ourselves. Amen. Thank you for all of that. That I'm a little passionate about that. No, yeah. And I can, I can see the potential for gaslighting too in that for Mm -hmm. self gaslighting of like, oh, my, I'm too angry to come forward or I'm too, you know, I need to make sure that my heart is right before God, before I do, you know, and meanwhile it continues. Yeah. If you wait till you're perfect, you'll never come forward. You know, it's like, it's like when I left, (laughs) I left a church once and it was, you know, bordering on abusive and I was just like, oh, 
I just want to make sure that, that I just don't sin in this. And I remember I was talking to someone and he just laughed. He's like, Oh, Julie, you'll sin. We all sin. Just like give yourself a little bit of grace, you know, try not to sin. And when you're aware of it, repent of it. But my goodness, you think you're going to be sinless walking through this really difficult thing? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Try to try to honor the Lord, but also kind of get over your own need to be perfect because it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I think, and I can see that that is, I'm not can see, I have experienced and witnessed abusers kind of using that also against the person, like putting the, the things that the abuser is doing on the person who's trying to expose you're angry, you're bitter, you're, you know, oh, you're yes. toxic saying all of these things. Um, and it, it just, it's just normal. And I think it's good to kind of air that out and just recognize this is this is normal this is what abusers do this is this is how they operate and there's also a lot of healing that happens to people when there's a semblance of justice so sometimes when you're on the one side of justice when there's a great injustice it's hard to get healthy and i'm not saying some people will never get justice in this world but i tell you it is a lot easier to be, you know, I've seen it. I've seen people walk through this or even after things are exposed, they're like, I, I'll see them a year. I'll, the people at Harvest Bible Chapel who had been abused by James McDonald. I mean, seeing them where they're at now, as opposed to where they were when I first interviewed them, like 18 months ago or however long ago it was. I mean, it's vastly different because they've been able to see some justice and People that rejected them and, and accused them for what happened now are seeing the light. And, and man, that's, that's healing. Justice is healing. It, our, our souls long for it. And if we don't get it, yes, we, we need to just work that out with the Lord and know that someday there will be justice. And, you know, it won't happen forever. There will be a day when evildoers will stand before God and give account. But there is a amount of healing, a lot of healing that happens when there's some justice. Yeah, and that's something to look for and hope for, for sure. Is there a viable option for someone who has experienced abuse and is, is leaving and they just want to move on and they don't want to think about it anymore? Is that a viable option ever? Well, I always leave it in the hands of the person who's a victim when or if to report something. I can't report unless people go on the record and they do that willingly. And they do that because there's a semblance of trust between me and them. So I try to do the, the most I can to help them feel that trust and that I'm going to do the very best I can to steward their story. But at the end of the day, it's up to them. And I have, I always have a lot of stories back here that I could report, but I can't because somebody won't go on the record. They've told me the story and I'm like, oh my word. And they, they won't go on the record. Mm -hmm. And does that frustrate me? Yes, it does. But then again, I'm not in your shoes. Okay. So I have not been a victim of sexual abuse. I've experienced some spiritual abuse for sure, but the degree to which I've experienced it. And some of the people I talk to have experienced it is like night and day. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it'd be easy for me to stand in judgment and say, you need to go on the record and do this, this, and this. And, and I don't really feel I have that place, but I want to encourage people to do that because I do think that, that it's important that people be held to account. I think that's hugely important. And if they abused you, they'll probably go on and abuse somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to do, but it takes, wow, a lot of courage. And, and sometimes there's a timing to that. And, and I've been surprised at how 
there are certain stories that I have sat on because I'm waiting for the person to say, okay, you can, you can report this now. Mm -hmm. I've sat on stories as much as a year before. And, and then, and then God's, I do believe in the sovereignty of God. And so when I finally report, it's amazing to me, like the Ravi Zacharias stuff, when that came out at just the right time, I published then, then Christianity Today published, and then World Magazine published, it was like, boom, boom, boom. And had I not done that, had that not happened like that, it wouldn't have been nearly as powerful. And it wouldn't have had the revelatory kind of impact that it did on the Christian community. So I, I trust God's timing. And, and I trust that, you know, sometimes people need to get to a certain place. But I'll, I'll also encourage people that if <laughs> I, re- I remember this when I was about ready to blow the whistle on Moody, and I was talking to my sister, who's a really godly, wonderful person. And I just love her to death. And I remember me saying, boy, I just, I just don't know if I should do this or not. And she said, Julie, what I'm hearing in your voice is that the reason, the only reason you're afraid of doing this is because of fear. And she said, as I read scripture, fear is never a reason to not do something. Mm. And it really struck me. Like how many times did Jesus say, fear not, mm-hmm. for I am with you, for I am going with you, you know? And that really spoke to me. And mm. I just realized I'm, I'm not going to live my life in fear. And it's amazing to me how many people live their life in fear. That's just not living. So I just decided I'm not going to do that anymore. And uh, I have never regretted that ever. Amen. Amen. Just want to sit in that. Um, <laughs> I also, yeah, want to <laughs> add too, because I feel like a, uh, a situation that I found myself in with my family of origin and community of origin that was very spiritually abusive is for years and years and years, I wanted to talk about it. And I am a writer, so I wanted to write about it. And one of the reasons why I didn't was because there were still other victims in that soup. And yeah. I was worried about unnecessarily exposing them or people coming to them and be like, wait, did this really happen? You know, that kind of thing. And I had to recognize that the victims that were still in the soup were also a part of the system too. And, yeah. and if I did not expose that system, then I was still protecting the abuser, even if I was my motive was to protect the victim long-term. It wasn't really protecting them. And you can't control the consequences. Like I say this, whenever a source comes on the record, I'll I'll be like, listen, I think I have a pretty good sense of things because I've been doing this for a while. And I think I know when a story is going to have a certain impact and how people are going to respond. I think I know the audience, especially in the evangelical church. I know it pretty well by now, but I also say, we're also dealing with humans. So expect anything. You never can know for sure. And we can't control. We just cannot control. If I tried, and if I thought every time, what's going to be the ramifications of this article, you know, and take responsibility for all those. I, I, I can't, I don't control the universe. All I control is my peace. And I can be faithful with what God's given me to do and speaking the truth, which I know he's always on the side of truth. So I will do that. And I trust him. And then the rest is up to him. You know, I, I don't control, the, I don't control the universe, but I do know the one who does and I trust him. So I'll do my piece and then God, this one's up to you. So mm-hmm. has there been any situations where there's been an exposing of abuse where it's gone wrong? And then how do you assess whether something has a favorable outcome or 
a poor outcome, how would you assess that? Well, to me, whenever there's truth and justice, that's, that's a positive outcome. That's success for me. So if, if, if I can shine the light, I mean, I, I, we serve a God who not only is on the side of truth, he is truth, right? There is no lie in him. There's no deception. He is the truth. He's our standard of what is even true. So, so if, if I report the truth, then I've done my job. And if I've done that ethically and followed, you know, high journalistic standards, then I've done my job. If there's justice, that's success. I, I you know, I have some stories that, that to this day, I'm just, I, it makes me want to pull my hair out. Like the Brian Loritz series of stories that I exposed. I mean, here, here is a man that when he was a pastor at a church, somebody came to him, giving him the evidence, a cell phone, which had recordings that a man who happened to be his brother-in-law had made secretly in the bathroom recording people, gave him the recordings. Now the recordings are vanished, mm. completely vanished. They're, this man who was his brother-in-law was allowed for, for years to go on to another church and pray on other women and do the, exactly what he had just done. I exposed it. That's not even, it's not even a question right now. Brian Loritz has admitted this. Mm-hmm. And somehow he's been able to talk his way out of that. It's mm-hmm. shocking. Not only that, but he's been lying about it, which is clear. I expose that. It, do- it doesn't seem to matter. This man goes around with a doctorate. Now I've exposed it. It's a phony doctorate from a phony school. He still goes by Dr. Brian Loritz. J.D. Greer knows all of this. His church, the Summit Church, knows all of this. The SBC knows all of this. I've reported all of it. It doesn't matter. They don't care. Brian Moritz gets a pass. Apparently, he's allowed to lie. Apparently, he's allowed to cover up for people's sexual abuse. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Those are the kind of ones where at the end of the day, I'm just like, wow, if Christians don't care more than that, Mm. you know, I I rely. All I can do is report it. Mm. And if Christians don't care enough to do something about it, there's nothing I can do. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those I would say I would look at that story and just say, that shows us the state of the church and why we're in this mess to begin with. Right. And I, you know, anybody who's listening that goes to the summit church, I know a couple of people reached out to me and have tried to fight this, but I don't know how you can go to a church that has leadership that doesn't take action when they know there's that level of wrongdoing mm-hmm. and they're promoting them. It just, it's, it's mm-hmm. beyond me. So, I mean, those are ones that I can look at and say, that's kind of dis- not kind of, it is discouraging, but I would say the track record in the past, you know, two years has, has been breathtaking. It's, sh- it's mm-hmm. shocked even me. I remember uh, when I first reported, we talked a lot about this, which is interesting. I mean, it's kind of a, an investigation. It's in my rear view mirror now, but what happened at Moody, maybe just cause it was the first, but I remember talking to Marvin Olasky at world magazine. And he's like, Oh my word, Julie, you reported and boom, three people were removed. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. And so I just feel like I have been a part of this move of God. It's not me. It's not because I'm a great reporter. It's not because I've even had, you know, power on my side. I've, I've really been the powerless one in almost every single one of these, you know, investigations. It's like a David and Goliath going up against James McDonald, on my word. But God has fought for me. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, he's given 
in, in some cases, I don't call him my enemy, but you know, he's given my foe in many ways into my hands, you know, he's given me sources or documentation or whatever, just at the right time where I just kind of go, how did this happen? And so I, you know, I, it gives me encouragement to continue doing what I'm doing. And now we're seeing it's, it's building. It is. We're yeah. seeing more people come forward. We're seeing Christianity Today, which provided cover for James McDonald, now doing a story about Robbie Zacharias. I mean, I never thought they'd have that kind of courage. Look back at what they did in 2017 and provided cover for Robbie Zacharias. Mm. Now they're actually reporting on him and telling the truth. That's huge. So we're seeing a change in the church. It's still, I feel like there's a mountain of wrongdoing and we still have this huge group of elites that have been covering for each other for decades. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to take a lot, but I think, I think God's work, you know, this is God's work and I think he's on the move and we just need to be in step with what he's doing and, and believe in that. And he'll, we'll be okay. He'll take care of us. Yeah. And it takes, it takes time. It's not a, it's not a fast process. It's definitely a slow process. Oh my goodness. The small thing of just the first time that abuse is exposed in an organization, there's usually a lot that leads up to that. So it's definitely long, long work for sure. But it is, it does feel like in the past four or five years, a huge shift in uncovering abuse and exposing it has happened. And I think that you have played a huge huge role in that. And so I am so appreciative of all of your work. And I, I mentioned you in a newsletter a couple weeks ago. And so I'm excited to share this episode and encourage anyone listening to check out all of Julie's podcasts. They're fantastic. Anything else you want to say to survivors or witnesses? Well, I just want to say to people like you, and bloggers out there. And I mean, there's so many allies now that I think with the internet, there's just been an explosion of it. And in a way, everyone's a journalist, right? There's, there's that ability to bypass the gatekeepers that we didn't have before. But you guys have played a major role. And with every major investigation I've done, there have been allies like that. And I think of, you know, what you're doing, Wartburg Watch, and Thou Art the Man, I know Todd Wilhelm, the stuff that he's done, Julianne Smith has done some great work. I mean, there's just been the elephant's debt, the bloggers who were blogging about James McDonald years before I arrived on the scene helped me so much. So I, I just feel very indebted to folks like yourself who are fighting for victims who want to get the truth out and just appreciate you and be encouraged. Keep it up and uh, just glad to partner with you. Yeah, me too. And so glad to get to meet you after after listening so long. Thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Tune in next week to meet our very first artist of the season. And don't forget to check out the donation premium going on through the end of January by visiting tearsofeden.org support.